humans make 35,000 decisions every day. Most of them are made automatically without even thinking. The very small percentage that use conscious thought require a ton of energy. And if too many need to be made, it can lead to decision fatigue. Is your sales process making it easier or harder for couples to decide on your services? My guess is that you're sabotaging your own success in ways you didn't even know. In this episode of Own Your Business, I'll tell you how our brains are wired to make choices, two ways of thinking about decisions, and three common mistakes that lead couples to analysis paralysis. Own Your Business is a podcast for event professionals who want to grow with proven approaches. I'm Sam Jacobson, a sales, pricing, and copywriting expert in the wedding industry. Throughout my career, I booked hundreds of events for millions in revenue. I've also led teams in premium and luxury markets. Now I coach people like you with my company, ID Action Consulting. It's not easy to run a business, especially if it's a business of one, because we aren't born knowing everything. Like you, I had experts who showed me the way when I was starting out and when I was ready to level up. I hope this podcast gives you the confidence to own your business. I absolutely love to travel. I mean, love to travel. I grew up as a kid going on road trips with my family. My, my parents were divorced, so my dad would spend a lot of time on road trips going from Portland to LA, where pretty much everybody in his family was located. And we'd stop off and do fun things along the way or hang out while we were down in, in, in Southern California. My mom, she loved to go to the desert Southwest. It was a big spiritual connection for her. And we would spend quite a bit of time in the Four Corners area and the road on the way down there. And then when I went to college, I burned out after my first year. I mean, almost failed out of school. And so I decided to regroup a little bit. And a buddy of mine went on a bike trip through Europe. We spent four months when I was 20 years old on bikes, camping our way through Europe. It was awesome. I was so inspired that I went back the next year because that same friend and my brother were in art school at Parsons in Paris. And so I stayed with them for a couple of months and then we kind of bounced around Europe for a month after that. And then when I was done with college, I went to Paris to live. I thought I was going to be a writer. And what better place for an American to go than to follow in the footsteps of my hero at the time, Ernest Hemingway. And so I went to Paris and I spent a few months during the winter living there in an apartment. Afterwards, several years had passed, I met my first wife, Allie, and she was half Argentine and half Italian, which meant that we spent a ton of time traveling to see her family. And it wasn't like she twisted my arm. Going down to Buenos Aires for the first time, I'll never forget. And seeing her dad and brother and sister over in Bologna and traveling around in Italy and Spain was amazing. My daughter actually has Italian citizenship through her mother. And we're all secretly kind of hoping that in four years when she gets to college, that it'll be back in the motherland because we want to visit Katie and I, right now, we shoot for 100 days of travel every year. That's our goal, 100 days. In fact, when we go through and we think about what we want to do with our business, it's always done in a way where we can create the kind of life that we want outside of work. And a big part of that is how much we want to travel. The goal is to have 100 days and most of it to be personal travel, not for work. This year, who knows where I'll end up. I still got some trips brewing, but I'm thinking around 125 days away from home. And I've already been to Morocco and Dominican Republic, and we still have Mexico, Costa Rica, Ireland, and St. Lucia on the trip itineraries. Now, I've talked about the psychological motivations that 
I go through and that you go through and our couples go through on episode 47. And I shared that one of my big drivers in life is autonomy, which is independence and engagement, which is indulging in life's simple pleasures, food, drink, people, celebrations. So travel is where it comes together for me. I create these immersive experiences, not just vacation. I mean, I spent four months on a bike in Europe. I had two, three month stints in Paris. Last year, Katie and I spent a month road tripping through Italy. When I was 20 and on the bike with my buddy, we had no plans, no plans, just three maps, camping gear, and a sense of adventure. We'd literally sleep in fields and forests along the way. We took baths and fast food restaurants. Every day was serendipitous. But last year's trip through Italy was much more methodically planned out. The trip originally started as a dream to escape the pandemic. I bought the tickets around Christmas in 2021. I mean, it was not for sure what was going to happen. We didn't know after a year of being in the pandemic, what was going to open up, what kind of opportunities we were going to have. But I bought the tickets as a Christmas present to myself so that in 2021, we would have something to look forward to. And I spent a lot of dark winter mornings laying in bed before the kids got up with Katie by my side, planning out our trip. Now, Katie's very detailed with her planning, which is super different than my natural instincts, which is to jump on a bike with camping gear and see where the road takes me. But I wanted to try out her way of planning the trip. So we made a massive spreadsheet with all sorts of columns on it for hotels and restaurants and activities and notes. And I'll be honest, it was a ton of fun in the beginning. Now, when Katie and I try and plan out our travel, I'm responsible for the accommodations. That's my thing. Katie does the restaurants and the activities. I take care of the lodging. Remember, I ran a lodging operation with hotels and rental properties for nearly a decade. So I'm really familiar with what to look for when picking out a place to stay. I love spending hours researching locations and different hotel brands or Airbnbs and the rooms and the amenities. It's one of my absolute favorite things to do on a Sunday morning. But this trip was a beast we had to find places to stay all over Italy. We were road tripping from the Dolomites down through Bologna, Florence, into Tuscany over to Umbria, along the Amalfi Coast, all the way down to Puglia. And then we were popping up to Venice for a few days and had one night as a layover in Amsterdam. And some of the places like the Dolomites, Tuscany, Umbria, Amalfi Coast, and Puglia required hours of research because we were not just trying to pick a hotel or an Airbnb, but we were trying to figure out what towns to stay in or if we even wanted to go at all. In fact, it wasn't the Dolomites in the beginning. It was Lake Como on the initial itinerary, but then we scratched it because we didn't really think it was going to be our place. Now, I'd been to a few of the places before, so those were far easier for me to know what parts of town to stay in. My first wife, her family, lived in Bologna. I'd been there several times, but most of the trip was new. It was unfamiliar. And I felt a ton of pressure to pick the right places, to get a good location, a great view, a spacious room, the right amenities, restaurants within easy walking distance. And importantly, because we were gone for a month, we still had to work. So we needed good Wi-Fi for days that we blocked for doing group trainings and live workshops and streaming with our team. The trip planning went from fun to overwhelming. Plus, there was a ton of expenses on the line. And it was quickly turning out to be one of those trips of a lifetime. And we didn't want to make any bad memories that would stick with us for decades to come. If you didn't know, 
Katie and I eloped in 2018 with just our kiddos and a couple of friends. And the primary reason we did that was because we didn't want to spend all of our time planning a wedding. We knew what we were in for after having been in the wedding industry for so long, and that's not what we wanted to experience. And this vacation was quickly feeling like it was just as much work. It felt like planning a wedding. There were so many complex decisions, lots of money at stake, multiple vendors to choose from, compromises to make between me and Katie, our decision makers, and the risk of not choosing well. There was also no chance to know if we had picked correctly until we were actually there in it and had no way of changing plans once we were in the middle of it. Think about it. This is exactly what your couples go through. They start off with a dream wedding. It's fun. They're going to enjoy not only the big day, but all the days leading up to it. And eventually, at some point, for many, many people, it quickly turns into a nightmare. I was doing a sales process audit for a client a couple weeks ago, and part of it was to listen to a discovery call that he'd done. Now, I'm there with my headphones, listening to the call, and after a little warming up and connecting on non-wedding topics, my client shifts the conversation and asks how things are going with the wedding planning. Now, he was in a vendor category that's usually picked within a few months of the wedding date, so the couple had been in the thick of it for a long time already. So the bride-to-be, what does she say to the question that he asks? It's something like, you know, it's not as much fun as I thought it would be. I'm really stressed out, even though I work on events for my actual day job. She was stressed out. But why was she so stressed out? You know what she said? It was all of the decisions that needed to be made. It's a lot. Surely hundreds, if not thousands of choices that the couple has to make to plan a wedding. And so decision fatigue sets in. Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of background here on some brain science. Our brains don't like to work hard. They require a lot of energy, and that means a lot of nourishment, something that until just recently was not easy to come by. Famines were common in Europe until the 19th century, and hundreds of millions of people today are at risk of not getting enough food to keep themselves healthy. It's hard to feed the body what it needs to be successful, to live, to survive, or even thrive. So to minimize all the activity that goes on upstairs in our head, the brain operates with two separate unique ways of thinking. Okay, two separate unique ways of thinking. System one is effortless. It's instinctual, automatic, and does not require very much work. It's non-conscious and it's fast. Blinking your eyes, what way you walk through a room, when to breathe, picking out a potential threat while walking down the street or when it's safe or not to go through a yellow light. These are all the things that we do with system one. It's also the system we use when we make emotional decisions. More on this in a minute though. System two is the logical, rational decision maker. It's slow and deliberate. It works through tough problems and that takes a lot of effort. Now we make around 35,000 different decisions every day. And system one, our automatic system, takes care of 98% of those. That leaves 2% for system two. We only have so much energy to use for system two thinking though. Imagine you have a battery in your brain. When it runs out of juice, things start to shut down. This is your logical, rational brain. It will shut down when it gets low on energy. Complex decisions tend to deplete energy levels more quickly than easier choices. And this is what couples are going through time and time and time again when it comes to planning their wedding. Most people get tired doing their daily activities with work, hanging out with friends, doing their hobbies, whatever it may be. 
And the desire to shut it down and binge through TV shows or scroll mindlessly through TikTok is a symptom of the brain switching off system two and moving your interest to system one. Funny lip syncs and reruns of The Office are way easier to process after a long day than the war in Ukraine or composing an email to a client. The average couple is going to spend at least 500 hours planning their wedding. And they're going to do it at night and on the weekend, just when the brain is trying to relax a bit to re-energize for the next onslaught of critical decisions to be made at work the next day using their system to brain. So how does all of this impact the way couples are buying your services all the time? Let's start with something simple. How does this system one, system two dichotomy play out? How do we see decision fatigue impact the way people are buying your services? I'm going to talk about the word investment for a second. I see this all over Wedding Pros websites. I see it in proposals. I hear people talk about it on discovery calls. And look, I get what you're trying to do here. You're trying to talk about how it's an investment in their future. They're, they're investing in the opportunity to create memories they'll look back on for a lifetime. But here's the thing. It's actually backfiring on you. When I say the word investment, investment, what do you think of? Do you think TikTok videos and rom-coms? Or do you think about numbers and spreadsheets? Mm-hmm. That's what I thought. Now, remember, the goal with sales is to keep people in autopilot. You don't want them thinking too much about the decision that they're making. You want them to go with their gut, with their emotions. But when you ask them to consider the return on investment, the ROI of your services, it slaps them out of system one into the logical, rational, slow way of thinking. Not good. This is why I don't recommend using the word investment anywhere in your communication to couples, not on your website, not on your social media feed, not even on your proposal. The only time I'd recommend it is if you have to overcome an objection during negotiations. And even then, it's not my go-to. All right, here's a second way you might be making it harder than needed to choose your services. And again, I see this all the time. All the cart options or add-ons to the packages or some menu of services on your pricing guide or proposal. It's too much. There are too many choices, too much to remember. Too much to compare, too many risks. You think that you're offering them the opportunity to choose what they want, to have some control, but it's really just overwhelming them. There's a psychologist named Barry Schwartz who made a name for himself a couple of decades ago by coining the phrase, the paradox of choice. Paradox of choice. And it's the name of the book that he wrote, and you can get it. I totally recommend it. It's incredible. Now, if you want only the introduction to the concept of the paradox of choice and you don't want to read the book, check out his TED Talk. It's 20 minutes, super easy to get through, very, very interesting. And here's the short of it. Basically, when we have too many options to choose from, we have a harder time choosing than if we had an ideal number of options. Now, there was an experiment that was done. And in this experiment, he offered supermarket shoppers different choices of jams. And he had two stands set up. In one of the stands, in the same supermarket, same type of buyer, there were 24 different options of jam. And then in the other part of the experiment, there were six different choices of jam. Now, this is where it gets interesting. The 24 choices attracted more shoppers. So more people stopped by the booth. But fewer of them actually bought something. So more people were attracted to the display with more options, 
but fewer people actually made the choice. And it wasn't just a little bit of a difference. It was a massive difference. The percentage of people who bought a jar of jam from the selection of six was 10 times more than the number of people who bought it when they had 24 options in front of them. 10 times more. That's massive. So if you're putting out a menu for people to pick from or you're adding in a la carte extras on your proposals, I strongly recommend you stop doing it. Use three and only three options with pre-selected features bundled together for the package. This will reduce what's called cognitive load and it'll make it easier for them to choose one of your services. I'm going to give you one more way you might be messing with people's minds when making decisions. That's timelines. Nothing says slow it down like working through logistics. And that's exactly what you're doing if you get into timelines, especially on discovery calls. Yes, I'm talking to you, photographers and videographers. Don't ask for their timeline or anything timeline related like first looks. Even that is a landmine waiting to explode because it makes them think with their system to brain. If you get them focused on the timeline too early, they're going to think too hard. And they'll also assume that they have to have their timeline locked in before they can pick how many hours of coverage they're going to need. And that bogs down the process. It creates analysis paralysis. Instead, just use your expertise to suggest how much coverage will be best based on the moments they want you to capture. Ask for the bookends of the event day. Focus on the memories that they want to create earlier in the day, like getting ready with their best friends or maybe when the party is going to end and you're going to have a momentous send off or, or the dancing that's going to occur. You just need to know the beginning and the end. You don't need to yet know all the stuff that's in the middle. And if they get caught up on the timeline or hours of coverage, get them in the door of your business and on the books of your calendar with a middle option, something that's not too much coverage or not too little coverage, and give them the chance to upgrade later if the final timeline warrants additional coverage. Couples already have too much going on in their lives, and then they add in wedding planning. If you make them think too much, you'll start to become associated with negative experiences and feelings, and they're going to avoid you. That's why you get ghosted. Instead, make it easy and fun. Keep them in autopilot for as long as you can by removing obstacles that may slow them down along the way. Most of the time, booking more couples is less about being a better salesperson and more about making it easier for a couple to buy your service. Boom. That's it for this episode on Own Your Business. If you've heard me on a stage or a workshop or someone else's podcast, you know I have a hard time keeping it short, but I know you're busy. So thanks for spending time with me today. You have a ton of options for guides when it comes to getting you to where you want to go. I hope you found someone you can continue to trust. If you have a friend who could use practical strategies to own their business, please share this episode with them. If you can't think of anyone in particular, we'd settle for a quick review on whatever podcast platform you listen through. 